I grew up with a God who could easily be angered, who could easily punish me, and who I had to find a way to keep that God happy. Whether prayer, scriptures, service, church attendance, fasting, being good, not being bad, thinking happy thoughts, not bad thoughts, whatever it was, there was a way I was told it was my responsibility to keep God happy with me. You're listening to a message at Grace Church of Alma, a place where the curious, bored, and discouraged can journey together toward a full life with Jesus. We understand that the scriptures are a little bit more complex than we've been led to believe. And often, in these rooms over here in the nurseries, we're trying to teach our kids the scriptures, trying to give them a first taste of the Bible. But when we do that, we have to give it to them at kind of the level that they're able to handle. And so we give them the scriptures at, how would you put that, a shallow or a plastic level. And so all these stories have more to them. So this series is called Bible Stories for Adults. Now, in this series, we've chosen to take a kind of a Friends uh, uh, episode theme. Anyone watch Friends? Anybody? Okay, good. All right. And so this one is called The One with All the Animal Poop. Okay, no one laughed. All right, we're good. Now, here's the story. If you guys did not know, okay, in the back room, we're going to teach our stories with the felt board. I'd like to introduce you guys to Noah and his wife. I'm so sorry. I forgot her name. Is anyone... Remember Noah's wife's name? Huh? She's, yeah, she's irrelevant in the Bible, right? It's only men, right? I'm joking. If you didn't hear my sermon from last Sunday, you listen to that one. That was the joke. Okay. Setting you up. All right. So the story goes like this, right? God is angry. He's decided that all of men's thoughts, the inclinations of their hearts, every one of them are evil. He's also mad because the sons of God, you know who the Bible talks about says the sons of God? Huh? Anybody? It says the sons of God have come to earth and they found that the women of earth were beautiful and they chose to make babies with them. Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> Silence! Because the Nephilim are the children of the sons of God and the, the women of the earth, right? We call them the giants of the world, right? If you find it, so basically all the offensive linemen and uh, the NFL, if you're over six foot tall, that'd be you, brother. You are the product of an angel and a human. I'm kidding. It's a joke. Please do not believe. I'm joking. I'm joking. This, yeah, please don't tell Jenny. This is a joke. All right. But this is what the scripture starts out with in chapter 6. This is how the Bible story starts. God is mad because now the, the angels are coming down to, to be with the women of the earth, and now the earth is being filled with violence. And so the decision of God is we're going to have to start over. We're going to destroy everything. But even though everyone is evil, there's one person who isn't evil, and apparently it's just Noah. His wife's pretty evil too. But Noah is good. We like Noah, right? And so God tells Noah, there's one way out, this hammer right here. I'm going to give you a hammer, and in seven days, you are going to build this beautiful boat. Have you ever seen that boat before? Look at that thing. Come on, who's ever seen the boat of Noah? Anybody? The ark. There's a museum that was just built to tell you all about the ark. Has anyone been there? Okay. Have you been there? Are you serious? Okay, moving on. There's a big boat. He, he builds a big boat with a hammer. He's a hard worker. He's only, uh, I think they said, three, what, what is he? Is he 300 years old? 
He's young and spry. He's got plenty of years left. He begins to build the boat. So we're going to bring Noah over here. Here he goes. He's working on the boat. And God tells him, what we're going to do is I'm going to destroy all of the earth and every human in it. But because I'm a good God, I want you to put seven pairs of all the good animals. All right? So seven couples of all the good animals. So lions. Anyone want lions to go with you? Winning lions. These are the lions who don't get caught in the flood. These are the winners. These are not those lions. These lions don't go in the flood. Look at them smiling. They're happy, right? They get chosen. Giraffes. Anybody? Eh. <laughs> On the fence. I mean, what good is a giraffe, right? It doesn't really do anything useful for us. But the, the giraffe gets to go. Dogs. Dog fans? Dogs get to go. Oops, cats. Sorry. <laughs> And of course, everyone who's a fan of science, the monkeys go, right? And the monkeys are happy too, right? And the idea is this, right? So now the ark is ready. They're set. And so God shuts them in, which by the way, it's its own sermon. God puts them in and shuts the door behind them. Now, what the scriptures say in chapter six is that now the firmament, meaning the ocean above us, when you guys look up at the sky and you see the blue, it looks like water, doesn't it? No. Well, to them, it looked like water. Water comes down every once in a while. It looks blue. Surely it's a what? An ocean. And so the firmament from the sky begins to drop. So the ocean from above begins to fall down to the ground. But there's a second ocean. Do you know where that ocean is? Underneath. And so if you read your chapter 6, it says, And it opened up from under the earth, and the waters from the deep came up. Now, they didn't have any ideas about the crust and about having a, a molten metal core at the center of the planet. This was not the way they saw the world, right? And so now there is now this beautiful happening going on here, right? Now you've got the ocean from above coming down. And now you've got the really cool one, right? You've got the waters from the deep. That just sounds scarier, doesn't it? Besides telling someone it rains, here comes the waters from the deep. I don't know if it's going to stick. It won't stick, but you get the idea, right? So now it has started, but, but guess what? There are some creatures who are happy right now because now the water's coming down and coming up, but you know who's happy? The dolphins and the sharks. They get smiling. You can't see it, but the dolphin's smiling. So all the fish and the sharks, are, the sharks are eating great. They're having a good old time, right? And so now we're told that basically the family gets to, to wait it out, right? The first 150 days, they wait out the storm. Uh, if you saw the movie Noah, there's a little kind of a little tidbit in there where you, you get to hear them listening to the screams of the people on the outside of the ark as they're being drowned. Hmm. We don't teach that in those rooms, do we? No. And so all the creatures are being drowned, all the monkeys and the cats, all the cats are being drowned. Um, and all the bad people with the bad thoughts and bad actions are being drowned. And they're just kind of having to answer the one question I get all the time. If the ark was real, what happens to all the animal what? Poop, right? Most important question of the whole story. We don't know. They figured it out, right? They problem solved, right? And so somehow for 150 days, they're taking care of all the poop. And now we get a really cool story. Now here comes a bird, a dove, which happens to make another appearance in the scriptures way down the line. And they send this bird out multiple times. The idea is if there is dry land, the bird will find it. And so finally, after a few different attempts, this white dove flies back to Noah 
with a branch in its mouth. And it's a sign that God's wrath has receded. God is not happy with us. Okay? And now in chapter 9, all of everyone's dead. The earth has been sweeped clean of all the bad guys and all the bad animals, apparently. And now we get a sign from heaven. Look at that thing. A rainbow. And now this is a sign of a promise of God that he will never do it again. He decided that that was enough. One flood from the bottom and the top was enough. Wiping out all of humanity, all of the creatures was enough. I won't do it again, promise. And here is my proof. You will now see really pretty colors in the sky when there's rain. How's that story? Everyone's really quiet. All right, it's going to be a good morning. I can tell. I can feel it in the air. You guys are already pumped about this one, aren't you? Now, as you all know, what I think we need to do with all the scriptures, right? We have to begin to find out what's really afoot here. What's going on in these scriptures? What's happening? Now, before we jump too deep into that, I want to say one thing. That uh, Chad Morris has been fired. You guys, we're opening a story about, about absolute desolation and that there can be hope in the morning. Yeah, everything's been wiped away, but guess what? There's hope tomorrow. Perfect timing. Man, apparently the people who hunt are the ones who laugh louder because we are quiet today. That's okay. Now, one of the first things to talk about here in this story, okay, as we're talking about Noah and all this stuff, okay? Understand this, we are still in the Old Testament, and the Old Testament has a very important thing it's trying to do. It is trying to figure out who God is. How do we understand this God? How does He behave? How does He feel about us? What dictates His actions? How does He think about things? How does He feel about things? The Old Testament is out to figure out who this God is. It starts with the story of this God, again, who is different than the other gods. He seems to have a different intention for things. He goes about things in a different way. He's never predictable. This is one thing we've talked about in every story. One of the most consistent themes in the Old Testament is trying to figure out why God is so unpredictable. What does God want from us? Now, my ancestors, okay, the Hawaiians, were brilliant people, genius, right? They're very good at the water, navigation. They, they enjoy... Uh, Pig, you know, they're great at roasting pigs, all sorts of amazing talents. They tan really well, uh, but they are not the most intelligent race that I've ever studied in my life. And so they happen to be located on islands. And one of the problems with islands is that these islands were birthed by volcanoes. And the problem with volcanoes that just birthed islands is they tend to continue to erupt. So when they had this issue, okay, we're, we're, we're having a good time, we're having children, we're having family, we're, we're having... Quality family time at home, having a meal, right? We're having a good moment. And then the volcano erupts, and it disrupts our lives. People die. The village gets burned down. What do we do? And so they had this, this solution. Maybe what the, perhaps the volcano has a mind or an emotion the way that we do. Maybe the volcano's mad at us. So here's an idea. What if we get one of our children and we toss it in the volcano? Maybe it won't blow up again. 
You guys are really quiet. Do you know how awful these things sound when you say them quietly and you don't laugh after you say it? We all get very uncomfortable. But this is exactly what they did, right? My people have a long tradition of child sacrifice, we call it, right? With one intention, how do we live in a safer world? Now, that sounds crazy to you. It sounds just primitive. But here's the question posed back to you. What would you do to ensure the safety of your future and of your family? What would you do? What would you do to guarantee that your family is safe and that everything that you care the most about, whether it's your future or a job or a hobby or a dream or just your own self, what would you do to guarantee that thing is safe? Now, in human history, we've seen that humans will do almost anything to ensure that they survive, that they are safe. And this is the exact same thing that's going on in the story. The people in the story are saying, what do we do to make sure that we are safe, that our children are safe? Now, what's interesting about the story here of Noah is that it's not the only flood story that's ever been written, especially at that time period. There are multiple flood stories. Each of them has a different hero. Each of them turns out a different way. Sometimes the God wants something different. Sometimes the God, he doesn't promise not to flood them again. He says, I'll be back and I'll do this again to you, right? And there's all these different flood stories because what they're trying to answer. In the same way that there are stories about famine and there's stories about fire and about drought. Since we are in, in Arkansas, have you guys ever heard of a rain dance before? Anybody, right? How do I ensure that it rains so that our crops grow so my family can eat? If you knew that if you went outside and you danced for five minutes, that $1 million would be transferred into your bank account. I mean, I mean, come on, seriously, listen to me. If you believed it, would you do it? You better believe it, right? If I could convince you that if you gave me 10% of your income, that 20% would go back into your, in, into your bank account, would you do it? If I could convince you that if you never missed a day of church, that your family would never get sick again, would you miss church? Problem is, you don't believe it, <laughs> right? We don't, right? We don't believe it. We've moved in a place where we say, no, that's not how things work anymore. And it feels like it's very kind of an outdated way of thinking, but here's something else I want to challenge you with. The floods that just happened here uh, this last year in Fort Smith, right? Van Buren, Oklahoma, Kansas, we had a, a areas that were just like devastated by floodwaters, uh, Nebraska even. How many people do you think woke up after someone had died, after they had lost a house, after they had lost a farm, a business? How many people do you think woke up and said this, why me? Why did this happen to me? You know what else I guarantee you? I guarantee you that church attendance went up for a few weeks. I promise you. Why would God let this happen to me? Why would God do this to me? Why would it happen to me and not to the other person? You think, if you still think that's a stretch, how about this? How many churches celebrated people whose lives were spared? Hey, this person, all these people were in, in, in trouble, but you know what? The flood avoided this one house. And this person's house was spared. 
Or someone died, but here's this miraculous story of this person who prayed and they got saved. They didn't die. Do you guys remember Katrina? The, do you remember that? I remember there's a story on Fox News back then. How they found this Bible with the verse open. And it was like the... <laughs> I, think it was, I think it was chapter 6 of Genesis about the flood of Noah. And God had seen that all of men was evil. And so someone goes, see, I figured it out. Destroyed New Orleans because of Bourbon Street. (laughs) And then, of course, the the storm hits Houston, the city with more churches per square inch, the largest church in all of the country. And I, I, I didn't hear a word about that. See, we still do this today. Now, in this entire series, I've been saying this. If you have friends or family who have just kind of left church and they don't really see value in this, I'm telling you, these are series for them. Because they might see the Bible as a dated kind of a, 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 a silly primitive book. But the reason the Bible is powerful is because it still asks the same questions we're trying to figure out today. We're trying to figure out this crazy world that we live in. How do I guarantee that my family is safe when fires happen and tornadoes happen and mass shootings happen and drugs happen and nuclear weapons exist, right? How do we ensure safety? Psychologists say that the the number of people who deal with chronic anxiety is going through the roof. We've never seen numbers like this before, especially in the high schools. You have people who are 12 to 15 years old who are coming down with panic attacks every morning, fear to leave their house, to get dressed, to just to just function. Fear and anxiety gripping their very souls, right? And so in all this, I tell you this, this story speaks right to, to this thing that we're facing today. Because the question is still the same. How do I find safety? How do I feel peace in a world where I don't understand why all these things happen? Why will someone lose their mind to the point where they will take a weapon, walk into a random place, and just begin to shoot people? What would make someone get to that place? And how do I guarantee that doesn't happen to me? What do I have to do? What prayers do I need to say? How much money should I put into the basket when it comes around? How many Sundays am I allowed to miss? What religion do I need to be a part of? What school can I guarantee if my kid goes to it, it won't have that happen? See, the story of Noah is really about finding safety and about finding peace in a world that you cannot predict and you cannot control. Because the writers of Genesis are not the only ones trying to figure out why these floods keep coming. Every single race on the planet at that time is trying to figure out why are there droughts? Why are there newborns who die at birth? Why are there people who are trying to kill us? Why does this have to be the way it is? And this is the deeper thing that's at work in this passage. This is what's trying to be answered. And so we see that God begins to, he has this nature of meeting us in kind of the place where we are, right? He, he shows us who he is at the level that we're, that we're able to to handle, right? I talked about this last week. 
Jude knows more of who I am. I can share more of myself with Jude than I can with Rachel. Jude is, is now uh, eight years old. Rachel is three. What Rachel can handle of her dad is so much, right? And Jude's capacity emotionally and mentally to, to receive who I am, to understand me, is greater than hers. So I can share more of myself with him. And the entire book of Genesis is a steady progression. You can only handle so much, so God, he kind of meets us where we are, and he, he shows us who, we are, who he is. And then a little bit more, and then a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more, all the way until we see this is the, the entire progression of the entire Bible as well. How much of God can we handle? Are we ready to realize who God is? And so one of the things that's going on here is that this is the way that people in this time period understand the world. If bad things happen, it's because there's a God, there's a power bigger than us. You can say it's a God or a demon or even the universe, the cosmos, whatever you want to call it. There's something bigger than us, and it's angry, and it wants to, to exact its anger at us. If you notice in all these stories, they always begin to put human emotions to things. It's the only way that they understand. When would you hurt someone? When you're angry. So if the, if the God's going to hurt us, maybe the God is angry too. So it takes us into these stories, and the one thing that we see that's going on here is that we see that God is upset about a specific thing. Now, in the story, I want to say this. It's really kind of a, a powerful moment here. There are these things that God begins to highlight. And in Genesis 6.13, I want to highlight this one thing that he says to Noah. This is when he's, he's telling Noah why he's going to flood the planet. Here's why I'm going to destroy everything. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people. For the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. Now, that's an interesting thing. Now, if you notice in this entire story from chapter 6 on through 9, when he first talks about destroying the world, he talks about the evil inclinations. He says, every single desire or thought or motive in a person is evil. And that's why I'm going to destroy the planet. But in this verse, he specifies. He says, specifically, here's why I have to do this. Because there is violence on this planet. These creatures are only capable of one thing, hurting each other. Now, this is a powerful kind of a moment for us in the Scriptures. Now, I don't have time to open this up, but all through church history, this has been like one of the common themes that teachers and, and pastors have taught on and seen in the Scriptures from Old Testament to New. That the object of violence is a powerful thing God is speaking to throughout the entire scriptures. So much so that this is something that there needs to be a, a, a dramatic lesson made. Now, if these humans are causing violence, why destroy the entire planet? What's the point in this? Why are we going to flood everything? Are you telling me that the, the minnows have now begun to, to kill the minnows, and this is the problem, or that the monkeys are just absolutely obsessed with killing monkeys, or, you know, that the parakeets are now committing mass genocide with the parakeets. You guys are not with me today. Is that okay? That's all right. It's fine. I'll, I'll just ramble for an hour. That's okay. What's happening here? When you see the word sin, understand that we're always talking about something bigger than the action. And so what's being communicated to us in this, in this story is that the actions, these, these humans who are now engaging in this act of violence are creating consequences, not just for themselves, but now we're looking at the scope is getting larger. 
The, the actions of the humans are now creating a place that is not just harming them and the others, but now it's harming the entire planet. No, I'm not going to preach on the planet today. But it is one of the themes that's going on here, right? There are consequences that go all through. If God has called humans to be stewards of all things, right, then there are consequences in, when, in the way that humans behave and handle themselves. So violence becomes a very powerful theme in the story. Why, why are we so upset? Why do they have to be drowned? Now, I want to go to a really fun verse. If you guys have your Bibles, go to chapter 9, verse 1. Now, this passage is what, where it all begins to be tied up. This is where it all begins to make sense. If, as I've been saying before, in the, in the Scriptures, I encourage you to read backwards. If you're having trouble understanding a story, you're going, this doesn't make sense. Like, why is this happening? Why is he drowning all these people? It doesn't make sense. I encourage you to start at the end and read backwards. It gives you insight to understand what's going on in the previous passages. Here's another tip with reading the Old Testament. See every story in the Old Testament as God transporting people, humans, from one way of seeing the world into another. Now, what often happens with our stories is that we miss the place they start and where they end, and we get all caught up in the middle. For example, how often have you heard people talk about violence when they're talking about Noah? Anybody? Got it. Okay. How many times have you heard people get caught up about hooves and how many pairs of animals were included on the ark? Anybody? You guys are lying. No. Okay. Uh, how about the size of the ark? Anyone been taught about the size of the ark? Okay. How, well, surely Noah could build it. He had tons of help and blah, blah, blah. And it was, you get caught in the middle of the details of the story. The way these stories are written, the middle is not the important bit. The beginning and the end are. Where they start and where God takes them. The in the middle stuff is often the stuff we get confused on. In the book of Jonah, how often do you have anyone teach you about the end of the story? Where Jonah asked God to kill him. Most of you have never even heard that part of the story. What's the part of the story of Jonah that all of you get taught and caught up on? Anybody? Say it. The whale takes up one sentence. Leave it alone. Who cares about the fish? This is not the important part of the story, people. I just want to, you know, as cute as it is, as great as the giraffes are, this is not what the story is about. This isn't what it's about. You're missing the entire point. But did it happen? Did all the animals, and then all the poop? What did they do with the poop? It's not the point. The poop is not the point, people. I know, I know. The, the poop is fascinating. Now, chapter 9, verse 1. Then God blessed Noah and his son, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. This is interesting. We've heard this before, right? It's the same thing he said to Adam and Eve. Did he mean it when he said it to Adam and Eve? Because he just wiped all of their children and their children's children off the planet. Mm, there's something to think about. The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and on every creature that moves along the ground and all the fish in the sea. They're given unto your hands. Uh, skip to verse 4. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. Now, what, what is, what's happening here? He just said the same thing he said to Adam, which, by the way, is the same thing he's going to say to Abraham. The same promise they're going to take all the way down to Jesus, right? Be fruitful, multiply, you will be blessed, you will be many. 
But when he said this to Adam, he didn't say, be fruitful, multiply, and then I will wipe all your children out and we'll start over. But that's okay. Come on, guys, let it sit in. What's going on here? Is God contradicting himself again? Is God getting confused again? Can God just not make up his mind? And then he says, oh, and all the animals are going to fear you. We're going to make sure all the animals fear you and eat them all. They're all for you to eat. They're all good food, right? But don't eat animals with lifeblood. If you are a good reader of stories, this is where you would say, what? What is the point of lifeblood? What matters? Now watch this interesting connection he makes here. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. What is he talking about? He's just talking about eating animals and food, and we're going to be blessed and multiply. And now he's telling them he's going he's to have them give an account of their own lifeblood. What does that mean? That when you die, you should know your blood type? How many liters of blood you're able to bring into heaven? What does this even mean? Come on, you guys need to ask questions. Gracious people, these are good stories. I will demand an account from every animal and from each human being too. What are we talking about? I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Uh Uh-oh, we're taking shape now. Verse 6, whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. Hold on, God, you just told us that every inclination of the human heart is evil and that they deserve to be wiped off the face of the earth. But then you just told us not to hurt any humans. But you just killed all the humans. Come on now. Is this a good story or not? Anybody interested at all? Oh, come on. Gracious people. So make up your mind, God. Are humans all evil in the heart of God? Are they all just worthless, deserving to be wiped off the face of the planet? Or are these the same creatures that you made and said, be fruitful and multiply, for this is good? Made in my own image, he says. And now he says, if anyone sheds human blood, you will be held accountable. Now, there are two different narratives, meaning two stories being told here. There's the story of man trying to make sense of God's actions, trying to make sense of the world, and then then there are the bits and tidbits of God that slip into the story. These little kind of on-ramps where God is taking us somewhere new, where we started with one view of the world, He's taking us to a new place. See, we started the story with the view where God says, hey, all of human is evil in every single aspect. And humans shouldn't even live because all they do is create violence. All they do is kill for their own desires. Now, if there's any students of history here, you would say that sounds about right. It's uh, a lot of what humans do. We get fruitful and strong, and the strong kill the weak, and the strongs fight to see who's the strongest. It's pretty much human history, right? But is there something else at work? You see the story of man trying to figure out why does bad thing happen? Surely God is doing bad things because he hates every single one of us. We've angered him somehow. Somehow we need to appease him. What's beautiful about the story is even after God does this with, with Noah, his reaction is to bring sacrifice. 
The next thing Noah does is he goes and gets animals, kills animals, and he gets plants, and he burns them to God. And the story says, and God breathed deeply and was pleased. Nothing like Folgers in the morning or a pigeon burning over a fire. That gets God going in the morning, man. He can't roll out of bed until you give him that burned pigeon. Do you see what is happening here? Does God really despise every human being? Or does God see every human made in His image and He's taking Noah and every human being and He's saying, no, 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 no. You think this is how you see yourself. I'm taking you over here. Every human is made in my image. Violence is the only way that you know to survive because the ark was a picture of a new way to be safe. If you live in a place where everyone is, is fighting and murdering for what they want, how do you feel safe? Anybody? If everyone... <laughs> hmm. um, Tulsa, yesterday, just had one of the largest gun shows in the country. Hundreds of thousands of dollars were spent on weapons. Now, most of those people are not planning to kill anyone. But what are the guns providing for them? Security, safety, peace. When I feel anxiety, when I feel fear, where am I going to find my safety in? How do, if Noah and his family is alive, what do you think that they're engaging in? Every human being right now, this entire planet is full of violence. They're murdering each other. And God is saying, I have a new way to live. Anyone who sheds blood is going to be held accountable to me. In all of human history, when there are the largest death counts, where we have to justify murder and slaughter, even wronging someone, and it starts in small forms. Have you ever heard someone say it's just business before? Anybody? It's just business and not personal. Yeah. Come on, nod. Yeah. Oh, it's just business. That's all it is. When you see another human being as a human, you look them in the eye, you know they have children, you know that, they're, that they have feelings and a past. When you connect to another human soul, you have a difficult time harming them. Hear me. This is deep. This is real. You have a hard time hurting them. To harm another human being, you either have to become less human yourself or they have to become less human in your eyes. So what if I say, every one of those people's evil. All they do is hurt people. Who likes Batman? Anybody? Batman? Okay. It's, it, he's called the Dark Knight, right? Because his reasonings for hurting people are a little bit messed up. But it's okay. He kills people, but who are they? Bad people, every inclination of their hearts are evil. They deserve to die. Drown them. Are you seeing what I'm doing here? You don't understand. The Bible is one of the most powerful, pertinent, relevant books in history. The only problem is we're all lazy. We don't want to do the work. Amen? Hallelujah. It's all here in the text. You know what? Go ahead and kill them. You know why everyone's committing violence? Because everyone sees everyone else as less human. I tell you right now, when you think about people in the Middle East, when you think about whoever that group is for you who is less human, 
When you hear about deaths and violence and loss of life, it doesn't affect you. I'm telling you, it starts in small stuff, guys. Small stuff. When I played sports, you've got to see them as, well, they're not on my team. Come on, you have to see what I'm doing here. Well, they're not in my family. Well, those aren't my kids. It's just business. We're all doing it. Come on now. God is taking humanity from one way of living to another way. I wish I had time to connect the dots, but you will see every one of these dots connects to Jesus and the kingdom of God. If you have a problem with this, well, God really did not like them. He really did kill them. Okay, great. You have a problem then. Because when you get to the words of Jesus where there is no games, there's no parables, no stories, there's no need to all this crazy interpretation, he speaks it straight. He says things a little bit differently. For God so loved the world that he didn't destroy it, that he comes to save it. Yeah, but he used to hate it, and he, you know, he, you know, hate him back then. And he changed his mind, maybe. I don't know. I hope you see these things. The same beautiful, loving, trustworthy God of Jesus is in the Old Testament. You just got to look for him a little bit. You have to do a little work. Every single person in this room is in a situation right now in your life where, for you to be healthy you need to do something that's going to cause someone else harm. And the only way for you to do this, whether it's fighting with your best friend or family or spouse, whether it's business, whether it's whatever it is, you're going to have to find a way to dehumanize someone around you. Whether it's voting here in the next year, you will have to find a way to dehumanize the person next to you, to dehumanize your neighbor. You will have to find a way to convince yourself that God is on your side and not on their side. You might not be to the place in life where this type of lesson is helpful for you, but I'm telling you right now, like, these are some of the deepest things in all the scriptures. These are some of the deepest things in all of humanity. Every religion that's worth anything leads their followers to a point where they see value in every human being, where they treat every person around them as a family member. Your life would be painful if you treated every human being around you as a family member. Just imagine that. Now, it goes on to verse 8. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 7. And as for you, I love that. And as for you, <laughs> be fruitful, increase in number, multiply on the earth, and increase upon it. Verse 8, and then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, with every creature that was with you. Now, I want to close with this. There are some powerful things the Scripture is speaking to, but here's what the overall, the, the largest thing that you need to hear today. Just as in that time today, we live with anxiety and fear. You, tomorrow, will wake up on Monday morning and put energy into trying to protect what you care about. Whether it's through finances or relationships, whether it's you're trying to work your way up in a job, whether it's by trying to secure a spouse, whatever it is you're going to be doing, you're going to be trying to make sure something you love and care about is protected tomorrow morning when you wake up. And you will experience fear and anxiety and anger in trying to make sure these things happen. 
And what this passage is speaking to is how do we live life without fear and anxiety? This is what it's speaking to. Would you guys stay with me as we close? Here's what it comes down to. The only way for you to go through life without fear and anxiety is if somewhere in the deepest parts of your heart, the deepest recesses of your mind, that you honestly believe that you are not alone. There are three things this passage says to us. The first one it says, it says that there is a way for you to live life without living in fear and anxiety. In this passage, it's a flood. Great. It's dramatic and big. But it speaks to anything that you're facing, whatever that thing is. Financial insecurity. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's mental. Whatever these things are, maybe it's for your children. Maybe you don't even know where it comes from, but you wake up every morning with intense anxiety and fear. And the first thing this this story says to you, there is a way to live life without that. The second thing this scripture speaks to us is that the heart of God, the overwhelming desire for God for your life is for you to be fruitful, to flourish, if you would. It's not about having kids. (laughs) Be fruitful and multiply. It's not about babies. It's about flourishing. You don't live in a world like this yet, but imagine this. Imagine if you woke up every day and realized that the most powerful force in the world was at work for you to have good happen in your life. I didn't grow up with that kind of a God. I grew up with a God who could easily be angered, who could easily punish me, and who I had to find a way to keep that God happy. Whether prayer, scriptures, service, church attendance, fasting, being good, not being bad, thinking happy thoughts, not bad thoughts, whatever it was, There was a way I was told it was my responsibility to keep God happy with me. And the last thing that this passage tells us is that we don't have to experience pain in order for God to be happy. This is a powerful one. Hear me. Whether you go to the ancient stories or you go to the flood, we always look at ourselves when bad things happen. What did I do? Why me? How come it didn't happen to that person over there or that person? Why am I the one who got cheated on? Why did this terrible thing happen to me? How come I'm the one who didn't get the promotion? Why does everyone always overlook me? Why me? We have a God who delights in us, finds joy in us for no other reason than that we are. And you might not be in a place today where you can receive that kind of a deep message, but if you are, I encourage you to take a hold of it today. There's nothing left for you to do today. There's no thing to be done to make God happy. When you are facing anxiety or fear, or if you're a certain personality type, you might feel it as drive, (laughs) motivation. Imagine if you woke up and there's nothing that you need to do. Everything's good. There's no need to feel this thing that eats at me and eats at my soul. Father, we just, we pray this morning 
We're all different. We experience fear and insecurity and anxiety very differently, whether it's deep emotions, whether it's minds that are racing, whether it's sleepless nights, whether it's physical stiffness or pains, whether it's uh, motivation. Uh, we can never be satisfied with anything. We always need more. Whether we can't trust people, whatever it shape it takes, Lord, we bring our anxieties and fears to you because we have a God who loves us, a God who doesn't need a th single thing from us, and a God who wants us to live a life free of anxiety and fear.